Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. As I said during the tease, this is going to be one of those programs. Stick with me for the next three hours, and there will be segments where you will be motivated to write what happened to that conservative Jeff Wagner? You've gone over to the dark side. Go work for MSNBC. Then there will be other people that will say, oh, my gosh, there you are, this just raging conservative. How can we continue to have people like you on the radio? And then there will be non-political topics that I guarantee will have you going. At least some people are going to say, right on. You're right there with this. And other people will be saying, what's happened? I can't believe you could make that argument. That's that's what we try to do. Varied program of opinion. Let us get started. During Mike's newscast, he was talking about how they're trying to save this uh, infrastructure deal that they cut late last week and how Republicans are very upset about being betrayed, to which my response is, no kidding, they're upset because that is precisely what it appeared that Joe Biden did to them. After months of let's have this bipartisan stuff, let's get agreement, well, what what happened is you had a, a number of moderate Republicans who got together with a number of moderate Democrats, and they went and they met with the White House, and they said, look, we understand the president wants to spend four T as in trillion dollars on all sorts of things, and he wants to, again, have one of the greatest uh, – spending sprees since the Lyndon Johnson Great Society or since Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the New Deal. And we understand that we're, we're blocked. America is very divided on that. But let's see what we can agree to. So they worked with the Biden administration and with much fanfare at the end of last week, they come out and they say, look, we've hammered out this agreement and we're willing to spend up to like a trillion dollars on on a true infrastructure program. You know, we're willing to spend hundreds of billions of dollars funding new roads, new bridges, highways, ports, and, you know, we're going to fund water infrastructure. We're going to do high-speed broadband. We're going to work on the electric grid and others of this traditional infrastructure thing. And everybody applauds, and they shake hands, and they say, look, we, we're going to put this you know, we're going to get this through the U.S. Senate and we're going to send it to the president's desk and boom, we can get started on this infrastructure stuff. And everybody says that's great. Well, what happened was Biden started to get blowback from the more liberal wing of the Democrat Party saying, what do you mean? What What do you mean you're selling out on, on this infrastructure thing and you're only going to spend, I say only in air quotes, 600 billion or a trillion dollars? What What about all this other stuff? And, and, and then Biden, because he's getting heat from the left, he comes out and says, well, no, no, no. He said, Here, here's the deal. The, these bills have to move in tandem and I'm not going to sign the deal that we cut. I'm not going to sign that unless I also get, you know, the other $3.5 trillion in spending I want. At which point in time, the Republicans who spent all this time and political capital hashing out a deal, they go crazy. They say, wait a second. That wasn't what this was. You know, we sat down in good faith. We negotiated this agreement. We said, look, we, we disagree about a lot of stuff. Let's find out what we can agree on. Boom. We can agree on this. Let's get this bill through and let's sign it. And now you're telling us that, no, you know, after we've spent all this time trying to cut an agreement on this, you're not going to sign it unless we, we go through with this other $3 trillion in spending that we never agreed to. And after that, 
that all blows up, Biden comes out over the weekend and it's kind of like humming a humming a humming. Well, I, I understand why the Republicans might feel a, a bit betrayed and it's still unclear as to where this stands. But the, the truth is, this is the ultimate bait and switch. This is like where you go in to buy the appliance and you sit down with the appliance salesman and you negotiate to buy that refrigerator and you're back and forth as to how much you're going to cost it's going to cost and what the deal is and you say okay great we're we're here 800 bucks we're going to buy that refrigerator then he goes back and he says well I'm I'm sorry that that refrigerator that we've been talking about for the last few hours that's that's not in stock anymore can't sell you that, but what I can sell you is this one that costs twice as much, but it's got all these other great features to it. And you're going, well, why did we spend the last couple hours talking about this? It's the classic bait and switch. And that's what drew a lot of the Republicans in. So if they're upset, they've got every right to be upset. And this is why I think so many people deservedly hate politics. I have always argued that politics should be the politics should be the art of the possible. And and there's too many, and I say this about people on the right, and I say this about people on the left, there, there's too many people who are extremists, and, and they just kind of dig in, and they say, unless I can get a perfect bill, unless I can get 100% of what I want, I'm not going to sign off on it. And that's never made any, any sense to me. I mean, if you can sit down, and you can look across the aisle, and you can say, look, all right, we, we, we all agree, maybe there's, there's 10 things on your wish list, and maybe there's 10 things on my wish list, and, you know, we, I'm never going to agree to five of the things that you want, and you're never going to agree to five of the things that I want, but, but five things are on our mutual top 10 list. Why can't we agree with those five things? We'll get them done, and then we'll argue about the other stuff on a, on another day. Doesn't that make sense? And that's what I think they did on Friday. I didn't have an opportunity to really break down the infrastructure bill, and there's aspects of the infrastructure bill that I could argue are really good, and there's others that I could argue probably aren't stuff that you should necessarily support, but that doesn't matter. It's something that they reached an agreement on. You had a consensus on it, and now Biden appears to be on the verge of pulling the rug out. I will tell you this, if he does that, there will never be a reason for Republicans to trust him again over the course of the next three years. Why would Biden do this? Well, again, he's getting all sorts of pressure from the left wing of the Democratic Party who doesn't want to view, who views him, hey, how could you sell out? You know, we wanted all 10 things. You're only getting three or four. You're, you're a sellout. So he's kind of caving into that. If he does it, it's going to send this message that there's no hope for bipartisanship at all. So, yeah, when you hear the headlines, Republicans are unhappy. Well, they have every right to be unhappy because they negotiated in good faith. Now Joe Biden has pulled the rug out from them. Maybe. All right. When we come back, I want to share a story that's just been posted on the JS website. I, I lump this. So you want to be a police officer. I want to tell you this story and then ask your reaction to it. It's really interesting. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One of the reasons it is so difficult, in my opinion, to be a police officer nowadays is that everybody or many people out there, they, they, they go about their business trying to provoke responses from the police so they can then be have their 15 minutes of fame. You know, I think one of the things that's been going on and the problems they've been having on Water Street is you have lots of 
of young people, underage drinkers who storm down the street and, and the, the police have been holding back, I believe, at the direction of the mayor because the mayor doesn't want to have incidents and everybody's got their cell phone camera and everybody's ready. You get in the face of the police officer and the police officer responds and then that becomes a YouTube sensation. I think it's very, very difficult to be a cop nowadays, which is one of the many reasons why you have so many police officers that are retiring and not as many people that are choosing this as a career moving forward. So anyhow, here, here Here's a story that appears, JS Online, uh, today. I, I want to share a portion of it with you, and I want to get your reaction. The headline is, former MPS teacher calls for body camera footage after her arrest outside district offices. Um, the woman, former Milwaukee public school teacher, who went to the district's central office buildings for pay stubs June 1st, left injured and in handcuffs after police told, after staff told police she was trespassing. Um, the woman who teaches special education is asking for an explanation from MPS leaders and calling on police to re- release body camera footage of the incident as she was forcibly arrested while attempting to leave the property. She spent three days in custody and faces mis misdemeanor charges of trespassing and resisting arrest. All right. So here's what they say. This is the police reports. June 1st, the, the woman who was been a special education teacher for a couple years, 2018, said she went to the district's central offices because a paycheck had been deposited and then rescinded from her bank account. She wanted to get pay stubs and talk to someone in person after failing to get in answers by phone, she said. Um, the the woman's name is Adria Madalini. She's the MPS chief human resources officer, later told police that the former teacher had sent an email May 28th stating she no longer wanted to be an employee. Madalini said staff then had emailed the woman a resignation form and removed her from employee systems, according to police reports. So the woman least allegedly sends an email, I quit, don't want to be a, a part of this anymore, so they take her out of, of the system. All right, the lady says, no, 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 she had not resigned and considered herself to still be an employee. She had asked for mediation to resolve issues with her position. Since becoming a special education teacher in 2018, she had raised multiple concerns about the treatment of students with disabilities and a lack of support for her role, according to emails she sent district staff. So you get the impression here that you have a teacher, um, relatively new teacher, who has had a cantankerous sort of relationship with the, the system, with back and forth. System says she quit on May 28th. She says, no, I never did that. Okay, so anyhow, this is the police report. The teacher says she was stopped by MPS security staff when she entered the building on June four, June 1st without employee identification. Okay, so she tries to come in. She doesn't allegedly doesn't have identification, so they stop her by a security person. The security person, staff, deemed her to be uncooperative and escorted her out of the building, according to the report. No, I'm sorry, you can't come in here. So they toss her out of the building. The woman then sat outside the building in her own lawn chair and went live on Facebook. All right, so you see where this is going. Security staff then called the police. So the Milwaukee Police Department is not involved at this point up until the time that security now calls and says, hey, we've got this problem, you've got to come over. All right, so these two officers arrive, and um, one of the cops goes in and speaks to the, the human resources director. She says, 
the woman out there in the lawn chair is no longer an employee. And then she produces a no trespassing order. Um, so she gives it to the cop. The cop then goes out to the, the woman who's sitting in her lawn chair and shows her the no trespassing order signed by the human resources officer that day. And he says, look, they, they've signed this no trespassing order. You are not allowed on district grounds. So then the teacher, former teacher, whatever, says, no, I'm an employee and I'm there to get my pay stubs. At which point the police officer says, look, you got to talk to the human resources department. She says, I tried that, not getting anywhere. Okay, he then says, look, there's a no trespassing order. You've got to leave or you're going to be arrested. The lady says, I want to contact my attorney. She's still in her lawn chair. She then asks people on Facebook to share her video, okay? At which point in time, the officer once again says, this is your last chance to leave or else you're going to get arrested. And then she doesn't go, and then he reaches to grab her hand, at which point in time she says she would go to the car. He says, we're past that. And then, you know, the video cuts out. Um, in the interview, the lady says the police threw her phone and broke it. Police reports state that she continued saying she was going to a car. She would not put her hands behind her back. So they're trying to arrest her now. Uh, reports say the officers tried to push her into a wall to gain control. As she continued trying to leave, the officer said they pulled her back. She went down to her knees. According to police reports, police pushed her to the ground and told her to put her hands behind her back. She said no. She couldn't breathe. According to reports, she then says her she says her head had bounced off the ground. Um, apparently the police officer allegedly struck her once in the back. She said, stop punching me. She refused to put her hands behind her back. He struck her twice more, cut, cuffed one of her wrists, she said. Um, and then she is, um, arrested. Uh, the officer said, um, that, uh, she scratched his fingers as the officers tried to cuff her second wrist. She was then taken to the hospital for medical attention. Um, and then she was, um, arrested. Right now, she's looking, I guess, at um, she was being held on a tentative charge of felony battery or threat to police, along with misdemeanor counts of trespassing and resisting arrest, held for two nights in jail, says she didn't get a phone call until her release, hasn't been charged with a felony yet, but does face misdemeanor charges. Okay, so that's that's the whole circumstance. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your reaction to this story. And I, I guess let me share mine with you and, and then just kind of react to it. This is another one of these situations that, to me, just demonstrates clearly who wants to be a police officer nowadays. I don't know the merits of this teacher, former teacher's beef with MPS. I, I have no idea, you know, whether she's in the right or they're in the right or whatever. But, you know, you're, imagine you're the cop. You get this call from the MPS security person saying, we have we have somebody who is trespassing on our ground. She's refusing to leave. You know, we, we want you to remove her. So you come out, you investigate the scene, you show her the no trespassing order. You say, you, you've got to leave. And, you know, she at least at first refuses. You say, look, you, you got to go. She refuses, at which point in time you decide to put her under arrest, at which point you say, oh, no, you don't need to arrest me. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to cooperate. I, I'm, I'll go to my car. 
but that's after she's been put under arrest. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Now, I don't know if the response in taking her into custody was an overreaction or not. You, you, you can't tell because you don't know how much she's struggling or whatever. But at the same time, if people would just comply with the police, this doesn't happen. If the lady leaves when the police arrive and show her the no trespassing order, which may or may not. Look, I don't know if MPS is in the right on this or not. I, I don't. But, you know, the police arrive. They show her the no trespassing order. They tell her she's got to leave. And then she doesn't. And then, so they say, look, okay, th- then they, then they say, okay, now you're under arrest, at which point in time, so, oh, never mind that, now I guess I'll, I'll leave. If you would just comply in the first, and then this becomes, again, this huge brouhaha, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, to me, is one of these deals where the police end up in this, this no-win sort of situation. And candidly, I, I look at the story, and I don't know, maybe the lady is right. Maybe she's got a legitimate beef. Maybe MPS is, is mistreating her. But when when they tell you you've got to leave, and the police show up, and they tell you you've got to leave, and here's the no trespassing order, and you still refuse to get out of your chair, what do you think is going to happen? And then when they tell you you're under arrest, and you refuse to put your hands behind the back, your back, and you start struggling, nothing good is going to come of this, is it? We discuss in just a minute. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with Joe on the northwest side. Joe, thanks for waiting. Hello. How you doing, Joe? Good. What do you think? I think that uh, generally speaking, I don't think I have a problem with the officer arresting a young lady. Or, um, I mean, once you enter into the process of not complying, and and uh, it gets to the point to which you, you know you're being told you will be arrested, and you don't you don't comply. Yeah, at that point you enter into that process, and you're not coming out. Well, so, um, I don't have as much of a problem with that, but I think I have a little bit of a of an issue with the statement um, if you just complied. I know that sounds strange based on what I just said about this lady's situation, but I think we have to be very careful with that because um, particularly with all that's been going on with the, the police um, and the African-American community in this country, um, I think the idea that complying, you know, it means two different things. So I think that's where there's a little bit of a, a problem. Well, I guess, but I mean, when I, when I say just comply, I mean, in, as applied to this context, okay, she's, I, and again, I don't know the legitimacy of her beef with MPS, and, and the cops don't know that either. The cops just know they've gotten a complaint. The woman is there in sure. violation of the no trespassing order. They say, you got to leave. She refuses to leave, essentially, and then they say, if you don't leave, you're going to be arrested, and then this all happens. I guess when I say comply, in, in context, would you agree with me that most of the time, if you just do what the police ask you to do, do, you're, you're going to avoid escalating the, the situation. I, I would say that in my, in, in you know, in my uh, version of life, I guess I would agree with you. But both, both of us, I mean, I'm, I'm being presumptuous here. I don't know you personally. Both of us are white males, right? Okay. I mean, I think that I think that when we're spoke, I, 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 the arguments that I would have from a lot of um, African American friends is that I'm pretty sure you're talked to differently. Uh, when it comes to how the police interact with you, the way um, you know compared mm-hmm. to how we are, and if there's legitimacy to that, then then you know it puts into question how legitimate is the statement 
you know, if you just comply, you know, it, it, it's just. Well, no, I, I guess I, I, I no, I guess I, I mean, thanks. I mean, I think we're we're kind of splitting hairs in, in a way on this. I mean, in, in and I, I guess it it depends on the reasonableness of the request and the circumstances and things like that. But but the point I've always tried to make is, it you, some police can be wrong, oh, and, and but. But what ends up happening is you as an individual citizen, white, black, brown, whatever, there's all sorts of remedies you have. For example, in this case, if the lady thinks MPS is mistreating her, well, you know, she said, well, I want to call my attorney. Well, okay, you, you, you call your attorney and you say, hey, they're, they're screwing me over and they say I've quit and I really didn't quit and here's what we need to do. We go, we want to walk into circuit court. We should file a lawsuit or a demand, a, uh, well, you know, file a, a claim or, or whatever saying they're violating my rights or they're denying me. There, there's all sorts of remedies that you have. But once it gets to the stage where, in this case, MPS says, hey, she's trespassing, she, she's here, and she's refusing to leave. And then once the cops get there and the cops say, I'm sorry, you got to leave, and she says, no, I'm, I'm still not going to leave, um, you know, at that point in time, you escalate these situations to the point that, like, bad stuff happens. And that that's almost always the situation. Now, you know, the, the sense you get from this is that the – the teacher slash former teacher was unhappy with MPS and kind of went there looking for, for her pay stubs and then was unsatisfied that they, they wouldn't let her in the building. And again, I, I don't know the merits of the claim, but this is one of these things where I'm trying to think if you're the police officers and, and you show up, you're not asking to get this call. You know, all you know is you get this call from MPS and they're saying, okay, we've got a disgruntled employee slash former employee who's been barred from the building and now she's she's refusing to leave. And then you ask her to leave and she doesn't. And now the whole thing escalates because now you're arguing about the arrests and things like that. I mean, who who wants to be a cop in this particular setting? Let's talk to Brad in Rockford. Hi, Brad. You're on WTMJ. Hi, how are you today? Good. What do you think? Well, it it sounds to me what what you said is a. I'm sorry. Hello, there. You need to leave. Hello. Yeah, go ahead. We can hear you. When yeah, when the police said you need to leave, she needed to pick up her chair and start walking. Yeah. But in our society today, every time you turn on any news channel, you see anything. It's don't listen to the police. Don't do what they ask you to do, ever, never, ever, never, never. That's what we have promoted. Well, and and okay. and, and, and let's film it on Facebook. You know, let let let's put it on well, there, and, and let's see if we can provoke a, a reaction from the police. And in this case, they got a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and and they got the correct one. But I think the problem goes further back in, and I don't remember the exact verb that you used. But I think what you said was that the head of HR decided to put a make a no trespassing order on this woman on the spot. Yep, that's what happened. Instead of the head of HR going out and taking care of her job with an, an employee or an ex-employee, mm-hmm. I, that person has created the whole substance. I, and I, I, now, I, if she had done, if she and or he had done what their job or what they were hired to do. You were right, Brad. Had the police had it. Right, and and Brad and I and I don't and, and just because I mean I don't disagree with that. Look, I don't know. We we don't know all the circumstances behind what the the, the history of the correspondence that that led to the woman 
allegedly sending a, a, an email of resignation on, on May 20th. I, I mean, and again, that's th- those are facts. And, and then I, and I agree with you. I mean, then she shows up and then, you know, when she's on the scene, they, they issue an on the spot, like no trespassing order. And, and all those things are very val- valid points, which is why. From the perspective of the lady, the teacher, the former teacher, or whatever, there's all sorts of options that you have. If she's got an attorney, call the lawyer. You know, get let the lawyer get involved, and that's where they threaten claims and lawsuits and stuff. And, and maybe she's got a legitimate beef. Maybe she doesn't. I, I don't know. But I, I do know when you escalate these sorts of situations, nothing good is going to happen. And this is yet another example of it. And then, okay, it's it's the police's fault and things like that. And again, I, I don't know, was there excessive force that was used? But there, there shouldn't have even been this situation in the first place. It shouldn't have gotten to the arrest stage because once they tell you you have to leave, uh, instead of, taking your lawn chair and parking yourself, you know, on the front lawn or wherever it was, you, you leave and then you move to your plan B or your plan C instead of escalating the situation. Because the experience that I've always had is whenever you escalate, things things never work out for the best. All right. When we come back, what is Ron Johnson thinking? Stick around. I do not understand why some politicians just dig their heels in on things. I mean, Tom Barrett... Look, Tom's trolley folly, the, the, the streetcar is a disaster, and, and it's just – it's a money pit. People aren't riding it. It's going to take over $3 million a year for the next couple decades away from the city's budget, and that means money that can't be spent on cops or on roads or anything else just to support the, this failing system. And, and Barrett's reaction is, let's double down. Well, the reason people aren't riding it is because it doesn't go anywhere. We want to spend hundreds of millions of dollars or a billion dollars more to expand it to other places so that you know people aren't going to ride it there either. Instead of just simply saying, I've dug a hole, let me fill it in and let's declare victory and walk away. So that Tom's trolley folly is one of the Barrett blind spots. Ron Johnson, Ron Johnson has blind spots as as well, at least in my opinion. So the story is today, uh, on Friday, you know, he announced that he was going to he's going to be holding a media event today. Don't know what time it is, to highlight adverse reactions to the COVID vaccine. The event will feature eight people, including former Packers offensive lineman Ken Rutgers and his wife Cheryl, who experienced a severe reaction after receiving her dose of the vaccine. Now, here's the deal. Our way out of the pandemic has been the COVID vaccines. The COVID, vi- the spread of COVID virus is just, it, it's down, 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 down. The number of hospitalizations is way down. The number of new cases is way down. And let's face it, that's because more and more people have gotten vaccinated. Now, there have been, in certain cases, there have been adverse reactions. So far, for example, out of 300 million doses of the vaccine, there's been about 1,200 cases of heart inflammation in in younger people. However, not all of those have been verified. Okay, over 317 million doses of the vaccine have been administered, and the the number of people who've had adverse reactions is is slim to none. Slim to none. That's the reality. And so the the number of people who get sick from the vaccines 
almost non-existent. It, it's sort of like the flip side is the people out there who are, are arguing that, well, you know, even if you've been fully vaccinated, you shouldn't be out in public and you shouldn't be doing all this sort of stuff because don't you know that even though you're fully vaccinated, there is a chance that you could get sick again. So, I mean, it's the people who even have been vaccinated who don't trust the efficacy of it. They're a problem. But then you have people on the other side who, who just, well, l- let's highlight the problems with the vaccine. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I swear, for the life of me, I do not understand the fights, some of the fights that Ron Johnson chooses to pick. Senator Johnson has chosen not to get vaccinated. You know, he says he had COVID, he's got the antibodies. That 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 is his that is his choice. Okay, that, that's that's fine. Just like it's an individual choice. But for the life of me, I do not understand why you end up having a, a rally or a press event which would discourage other people from getting the vaccine. If you decide you don't want to get the vaccine, my response has always been go with God. That, that's the decision you make. But l- let's face it, that that's... That is a minority opinion in the fact that the overwhelming amount of science and the doctors and things like that and the real world results show that for most people, almost all people, but not all, but most people, you know, the the covid vaccination is going to protect you from getting covid. So why you would have a press conference, a news event or whatever, which picks the relative handful, or at least, you know, cherry pick some people who've had adverse reactions. It, it is just, it's absolutely beyond me. And it's counter to what we're trying to do, which is to try to encourage most people to get the vaccinations so we can get closer to herd immunity so we can get back to normal. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand that I, I think sometimes there's a piling on effect when it comes to Ron Johnson because you, you've got a lot of people in the mainstream media who are out to get him. But at the same time, I, I think I hear some of the stuff that he does, and this is one of them. Why are you having essentially an anti-vaccination media event? When I think most of us would understand that for most people, encouraging folks to get the vaccine is a good idea. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. So, Jeff, if the vaccine is what you claim, why will they have trouble reaching a 60 percent vaccination rate? Herd immunity will never get reached. Well, yeah, I I think that that's that that's probably true. And I think individuals get the right to decide whether they want to have the vaccine or not. But the truth of the matter is the vaccine is in most people. It's safe. And the the number of covid deaths that are occurring now, which are way down, they are almost all almost all among people who are not vaccinated that that's just what the reality of this is and again i if senator johnson doesn't want to get vaccinated i that's fine that's a decision that, that he's making i don't necessarily think it's the right decision but it's a decision he's making if other people want to make that that's fine but what do you gain by having news conferences highlighting the relatively insignificant number at least statistically insignificant if you had an adverse reaction i understand it's a big deal but statistically 
there's not that many people that have adverse reactions to this. So why do you highlight that and thereby send a message discouraging other people from getting vaccinated when we know that that's the principal reason why the number of COVID deaths are down and why the number of COVID cases are down? Bill in Burlington. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Great topic. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I, I just think it's really uh counterproductive for him to be really wasting his time whether it's his personal time or not on this i mean i had uh covid back in november and i'm not against the vaccination at all really and i decided to get it i think it's a personal choice thing but really to it's just it's it's a waste of time i think really for him and it's i don't think it's giving him a better look Um, you know i think he could probably focus on some things that are maybe a little bit more important and positive than just trying to go against it. I think it's kind of more politicized probably from, you know, his viewpoint. Well, I, I, yeah, I do. I mean, thanks for call, Bill. I'm getting all these, I, as I predicted at the start of the show, I'm, get, I'm getting all these, like, hostile emails. How dare you criticize Ron Johnson? And don't you realize this vaccine is dangerous and things like that? And, and look, to me, on so many different levels, why this is a fight that you choose to pick if you're Ron Johnson is absolutely beyond me. Now, I understand that there's people that are out there that are reluctant to get the vaccination, don't want to get the vaccination, all, all that. Oh, okay, you're making your decision. But I think in general, the consensus among public health officials and doctors is that this is the way to go. This is our way out of this mess that we were in. And so why you would highlight the extremely statistically rare adverse reactions to this, because let's face it, you're, you're sending this message that, well, I, I don't I don't think people should get vaccinated. Why is that really the is that really the fight that you want to pick where it is clearly not supported by the overwhelming amount of scientific research. And again, I understand there's been a lot of, hey, let's follow the science and where does that lead us? And just like the people who are fully vaccinated, who still think, well, we can't go out in public and we can't interact, just like that drives me crazy. This is the flip side of that that drives me crazy as as well. Um so where do you end up doing this? Um, look, and again, people are saying, well, we're never going to get to herd immunity. Okay, that's that's fine. And somebody's saying, well, Jeff, I think natural immunities are much better than the vaccines. Okay, well, you've got natural immunities that are out there as well. I'm not talking about vaccine mandates, and that that's not what this is. This is Ron Johnson going down yet another rabbit hole. And whether it's appealing to a relatively small section of the voting population or I I don't know whether it's a hardcore group of like, I don't think the government should tell me what to do, folks. It's not a winning strategy if you want to get reelected U.S. senator at the bottom line. And it's not necessarily, I think, a positive thing to do if you're trying to promote public health. Just saying. Okay, when we come back, let's irritate some people on the left. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, big story in the Wall Street Journal today, which is not very surprising, but you wonder if some people are listening. Governor Evers, Governor Evers, you know, they're like the Ferris Bueller's Day Off thing where you got Ben Stein, who's playing the teacher, going, Bueller, Bueller. It's kind of like Evers, Evers, 
You hear Evers? You paying attention, Evers? Here, here's the story. The headline, Americans are leaving unemployment rolls more quickly in states that cut off benefits. Let's review the bidding really quickly. We Last last spring, about a year ago or so, a year ago last spring, you know, of course, we, we had the pandemic that hit. Businesses closed down. You had people that were suddenly unemployed and desperate with no sources of income and things like that. And so what happened is the federal government stepped in and started, in addition to the typical unemployment benefits that you get through the state, they were paying people 600 bucks on, on top of whatever your state unemployment benefit was. Well, and that's because jobs had disappeared. Well, what it resulted in is there were a lot of people that with that $600 stipend, they ended up making more not working than they did working. And, and can we see a show of hands? If you're going to be paid more to stay home and watch TV than you are to go to work, particularly if you work in a job that's kind of a dead-end job or that you don't particularly like or whatever, of course you're going to stay home, all right? But but that was necessary because a lot of those jobs went away. Well, all right, we're, we're out of the pandemic now. The, the numbers are down dramatically. Things are opening up, but the problem is you have a lot of businesses that can't find employees. I mean, the news last week, you know, State Fair is going to go on reduced hours. They're not going to open up to 11 o'clock in the morning once they open because they're having trouble getting people that are willing to work. Well, all right, it's no longer a $600 a week benefit. It's now $300 a week. But that $300 a week, when you put it together with, in like Wisconsin, the average unemployment payment is like 600 bucks. It, it, for many people, especially if you're making $15 an hour or less, you can still end up making as much, or in some cases more, by unemployment and the $300 stipend as you could if you went to work. And so that's keeping people from actually going to work. And it's no surprise. I understand. It's human nature. Why go to work when you can make as much money staying home? Well, a number of governors, particularly in Republican states, have realized that. And they've recognized that here's what's happening. Because the government is essentially subsidizing people to stay home and not work, people aren't working, and that means employers can't find people to do jobs. So in 21 states so far, governors have said no to the $300 federal employment bonus that's coming in. And they've said no. And you know what's happening? Surprise follows surprise. The number of people unemployed in those states is dropping dramatically. Why? Because people are saying, hey, I, I got to go back to work. And now it's not I'm now essentially it's not a choice of not being able to go to work or not. It's like I got to go back to work because I can't live on 300 bucks uh, a week uh, as opposed to 600. And what they're finding is People are having no trouble finding employment at all. So here's the story in the Wall Street Journal today. The number of unemployment benefit recipients is falling at a faster rate in Missouri and 21 other states canceling enhanced and extended payments this month, suggesting that ending this aid could push more people to take jobs. Yeah, like, like, no kidding. This is kind of self-evident. Okay, so here's the deal. The number of workers... Paid benefits through regular state programs fell by almost 14% by the week that ended June 12th from mid-May when many governors announced changes. So about 14% um, the, the number of workers fell. 
That compares with a 10% decline in states that are ending the benefits in July and a 5.7% decrease in states ending the benefits in September. That's Wisconsin, where Tony Evers has never, never looked at a federal handout and said no to it at all. So the number of people back to work in these other states that have said we're cutting off the benefits is substantially higher than in Wisconsin, for example, where we're continuing to pay the benefits. And, and this, this is not rocket science. This is just, you, you understand, it's a simple do the math thing. Then you've got Tony Evers going, well, I, I, I haven't seen any data that suggests this. Well, all you have to do is pick up the Wall Street Journal today and you'll see it. But intuitively, it, it makes sense. And we've talked about this before. If you can make as much money or more by staying home as opposed to finding a job and going to work, of course you're going to stay home. And that's not an indictment of the people that are staying home. It is just common sense. You know, we know... And I can remember back in 2007 and 2008 and 2009 where you had the Great Recession and you had people who were chronically unemployed. And normally unemployment benefits last six months, but they got extended a year. In some cases, they got extended 18 months. And what happened was, well, the unemployment numbers were always high until the benefits ended up disappearing. And then, mysteriously, people were able to find jobs. Well, that's the same thing that's going on now. You cut those extra 300 buck a week payments, and what you're going to find is people are going to be rushing back into the labor force because you're no longer incentivizing them not to work. Now, Governor Evers, who apparently just, again, doesn't want to do that, doesn't care about the fact that, you know, businesses can't find workers and doesn't want to run afoul of the whole notion that let's have the government continue to give people money. It's free money. And of course, we all know that there's no free money. But if that means that employers can't open the restaurant six days a week, they can only open it four days a week because they can't find workers. If it means we have to reduce hours because there's people who have no incentive to go back into the job system, Evers is apparently okay with that and continuing to take the money. But let's not misunderstand things. As long as that's happening, you're still going to have unemployment at acceptably un, at unacceptably high levels. Cut off the gravy train and people will go back to work. And there's plenty of jobs that people can do if they want to work. And right now, if you make more not working than working, of course you're not going to work. All right. When we come back, how long... Do we continue this? I'll explain. We'll discuss. In September of last year, almost a year ago, the federal government, through the CDC, issued an order saying that landlords were not allowed to evict tenants based on a failure to pay rent. Now, that, that, was, that was an order issued by the, the CDC. Um, a couple months later, that order was continued, and it was to run until March 31st of this year. Landlords not allowed to evict tenants based on non-payment of rent. And the Biden administration jumped in, and they continued that order to June uh, through the end of this month. And then late last week, the Biden administration issued another order saying that that no eviction based on failure to pay rent order was going to be continued through the end of July. So essentially, if you're a landlord, you have not been allowed to evict a tenant for failure to pay rent for, you know, 10 months now. 
So that, that now you can evict them for other reasons if they, for example, like the building on fire or something like that. But failure to pay rent is not a basis to evict people. Now that that government order has been challenged in a number of courts and a number of judges has found it illegal. Government doesn't have the authority to tell private businesses that you can't evict people. But the rulings have been put on hold while they're under appeal or things like that. So the government continues issuing these moratoriums, which are in all likelihood illegal and unconstitutional. But that doesn't change the fact landlords are not allowed to evict people for non-payment of rent. And now that order has been continued through the end of July, despite the fact that we have had multiple stimulus payments and despite the fact that for all intents and purposes that the pandemic has clearly wound down. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. On the one hand, I understand the argument. I certainly understood the argument last September. You've had this devastation to the economy. People are out of their jobs. Plus, you don't want to evict people where they have nowhere to go in the, the height of COVID. Okay, all right, that that's fine. Maybe that was true in September, but now with the COVID numbers down dramatically in the spring and now that we're getting into the summer, does that order continue to make sense? And how much longer can you expect the landlords to go without being able to collect money which they are owed? And if you're a landlord, you... you you know, you, you've still you still got to make the utility payments. Trust me, you're, you're still going to be required to make your property tax payments. The city of Milwaukee is not going to forgo that. Um, you're still going to have to have the maintenance payments. You've still got if you're having the grass cut, you're still paying the lawn care service. You're still paying all the utilities. You're still doing the upkeep. And yet you have no money coming in. Our number 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look. You don't want to evict anybody. There's no question about it, because once you, if you're a landlord, you evict somebody, you lose your ability to collect the back rent. But if you have people that haven't paid rent for the last 10 months, and let's say the rent's a thousand bucks a month for the sake of argument, and they haven't paid rent for the last 10 months. Okay, so now they're 10 months in arrears. Do you think as a practical matter that you as the landlord are ever going to be able to recover that money? And the answer is no. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you continue, should we continue to extend this this moratorium? And, and how long is too long? And what's going to happen? I mean, ultimately, aren't tenants going to have to pay? And by extending the ability they have to go without paying and digging themselves further and further in the hole, don't you simply guarantee that you're going to have more evictions at, at the end of all this? 855-616-1620, Sue in Sockville. Hi, Sue. Hi there. This subject just beyond drives me nuts. If I am a landlord, I have properties that I rent out. And if one of mine would have done that, I guarantee I would have put a for sale the very next day because I'm not trying to be cruel, but the landlord still has a payment every month to make. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. are we going to get that payment from? And if a tenant doesn't pay one month, two months, now up to a year later, do you really think there's a snowball chance in hell that that's going to be paid at the end? Maybe Maybe Jill should have given everybody a check that went right to the landlords 
right. and covered them for a while. Well, well right. It's the, and that's, well, Sue, and that's the other thing. And you raise an interesting point. We, you know, we've been making all the, the stimulus payments and, and things like that and the added unemployment benefits. You know, would it, would it have been unreasonable to say, okay, a portion of that is going to go to the landlords um, or else you risk eviction? Because th- this, this is sort of like what they do with utility payments where you can't shut off the utilities. You know, if you, if you don't make your phone payment, they're going to take, a, they're going to cut off your phone. If you don't make your car payment they're going to repossess your car so if you don't make your your payment your rent payment well there's nothing that you sue can do although your bills still continue to come true yeah exactly and we have to pay them every month or else we will lose our property and i've heard of different landlords that have lost property from this year it was just one of the worst decisions ever and it encouraged people to be lazy about working there's a lot of jobs out there go get them yeah. But nobody's getting them because of the high unemployment coming through. No, uh, Joe, thanks for calling. And here, here's the, I mean, here's the other thing that goes along with, with this whole thing. You know, and I, I try to explain this to people, but somebody who chooses to be a landlord, that is an investment decision that they are making. They're saying, okay, I've got this money. I could put it, I could buy CDs. You know, I could um, put it in the bank. I couldn't put it in the stock market, but I'm going to invest in housing for people. All right. Because and, and look, it, it's a business. You expect a rate of return. Well, if you're now in a situation where you're saying, OK, we're going to have the government that's going to stop you from collecting rents, recognizing that you're going to just end up having to eat thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in, in non-payments. Well, then people it's like our, our last caller said, Sue said, you just put it. You're not going to find people that are going to want to be landlords because going to say, why am I going to put up with this aggravation if I'm going to end up losing money on this? Let's talk to Debbie in Muskego. Debbie, you're on WTMJ. Hi, yes. We are owners of several properties, and when this thing went into effect, we had several tenants that decided to not pay us. We um, did get two of them out. We have like thousands, like $7,000 they owe us, and won't pay us now. They yeah. were ordered. They say they have rent to pay. They have other stuff now. You garnish their wages. They cut down to part time. You can't get that money back. Yeah, and and you have right. You, you're not going to be able to get it. So you're just going to end up having to write that off, Debbie. And and again, you. I, and it doesn't even work that way. And then like now, we want to rent those places out. Out of all the people that we have have applications they're all getting evicted right now so why would you rent to them they're all like we don't want to rent to anybody because you don't want to get stiff it's going to be the same thing yeah exactly what do you do and he keeps extending this right exactly and all that does is giving more and more people an opportunity to get further and further in the hole they're never going to be able to dig out Right, and and you're. And, all these, and so, how long does that go? You say a write-off. It still doesn't make up, and then right. you got damages, and they don't have to pay that either because they have no money and they don't work. Right, and they when quit working. Yep, no, Debbie, and thanks. For, and, and when I when I was saying write-off, I, I didn't I didn't really mean like a tax write-off. I meant you're just going to have to write it off as a bad debt. That that's I, I wasn't talking about taxes necessarily. It was just my phrase I used. But yeah, this is this is the real world consequence. And I understand there's this image that people out there, if you're a landlord, you're an evil person. No, you're like the first two callers we had, Sue and Debbie, who sound to me like 
you know, small business people, they, they've got, maybe you've got the four family, you know, maybe you've got this other house that you're renting, but, you know, you're, you're doing it as an investment. And if, if all of a sudden, you know, you're not going to get a break on your property taxes. They're, they're going to be due. You're not getting a break on the utilities. You need that dough that's coming in from the, the tenants. You need that to make the mortgage payments. And if you're not getting it, well, okay, what, what's the sense of being a landlord now? At some point in time, and candidly, I, I think I, I get the first couple months. And by the way, the other thing that frosts me on this is you've got one court after another saying it's illegal, but the Biden administration doesn't care. They're ignoring these judges' decisions. They're saying, okay, well, we, we want to fight this. We want to delay this. And every day you delay it screws over more and more small business people, the landlords you just heard from, like Sue and Debbie. And it's not right. Well, I'm not a landlord, and this frosts me. Jeff, I currently own 12 rental units. I lowered the rent when COVID hit to give my tenants an opportunity to get by with less of an impact on their take-home pay. Two of my tenants stopped paying the rent entirely for a couple months because of the moratorium. The neighbors told me they were doing this on purpose because of the moratorium. It had nothing to do with them making less money or not having work. The whole thing is infuriating to me. I'll bet. Jeff, I've been working for a while now trying to reach a point where I can own investment properties, but our current conditions have me second-guessing that plan. No kidding. I I mean, seriously, if you're looking at what's going on in the stock market now and you've got 10000 bucks for the sake of argument. You say, okay, where do I want to put this $10,000? Do I want to put this as a down payment on like a two-family um, that I'm, I'm going to go through all the hassles of owning the property and then make the monthly payments and collect the rent and all that? Or do I want to take that ten grand and put it in the stock market? Well, okay, stock market's becoming a lot more attractive because, all right, when you cash, when you sell your stocks, you know you're going to get the money. You're not going to have to wonder whether the government's going to stop you from collecting your rent every month like they have for the better part of a year. My favorite text of the day so far. I know why you watch China Beach, Jeff. A young Dana Delaney was really, really cute. And my response was, she was indeed cute. There's, I, I don't, that's, in all honesty, that that's not why I, I watched the show, but she was very cute. There's no question uh, about that. And she was she was actually a great actress, but really that the character she created of this American military nurse, uh, Colleen McMurphy in Vietnam, I, I think it, it's one of the great TV characters of all time, male or female, and arguably one of the greatest female TV characters of all time. Just absolutely just an, an indelible thing. And that's, if you ever get a chance to, especially if you, you know, grew up in the 60s and 70s, um, it's, it's just great. And I think they did a really, really good job of as much as you could on television back in the, you know, 80s and 90s. Um, and talking about like broadcast television, I, I think they gave a very realistic portrayal about what it was like to be in Vietnam at that time. All right. Now, we've been talking a lot about as a result of the pandemic, you've had all these these disincentives that the government has, oper- uh, has offered people to, to work. And again, I, I understand. I mean, if you're if you're in a situation where you're in a job that's very difficult physically 
or you don't like your boss, or you're on your feet all the time, or you think it's a dead-end job, and the government is going to subsidize you and pay you more or almost as much for working as not working, for not working as working, I get it. I mean, I, I understand why you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ride this gravy train as long as I can. It, it just, it makes sense to me. And so you have more and more people that are trying to find reasons not to go to work. Which brings me to the story in the Washington Post over the weekend. Japan. Now, what's really interesting is, of course, Japan is, you know, is known for its rigid work culture, you know, where where that's, you know, you you work and that's what you do primarily. Japan proposes four day work week as idea gains purchase amid pandemic. Japan, known for its work culture, is entertaining changes to the standard work week few would have predicted several years ago. The country's annual economic policy guidelines unveiled plans to push employers to adopt four-day work weeks, making official acceptance of a, a once-fringe approach. The recommendation that companies adopt optional shorter work weeks is meant to support employees who want to further their education, take care of family members, or simply go out, spend money, and even meet others. In proposing four-day work weeks, Japan joined Spain, which is launching a three-year nationwide voluntary 32-hour week experiment, as well as other countries that have been mulling the prospect. New Zealand and Finland's prime ministers have floated the idea. The UK Labour Party in 2019 campaigned on the idea that work weeks be shortened in the next decade. Um, and then it goes on and on, talking about how, well, a five-day workday was, was never a given, and it used to be in, in America, like in 1910, 1920, six-day work weeks were traditional. So now we've gotten to four, five-day work weeks. What's wrong with going to a four-day work week? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, one of the obvious questions is, hey, if you go to a four-day work week, are you going to pay people for a four-day work week, or are you going to continue to pay them their full salaries? And in Japan, they're encouraging, they would say, well, we would encourage employers, and certainly for the government employees, we would, wait for it, we'd pay them the same for working four days a week as we do for, the, we pay them now for working five days a week, which, of course, I guess from the perspective of those employees makes it sort of a, a no-brainer. Eight, I mean, again, if, if you're going to pay people for working four days, as much as you pay them for working five, well, okay, who, who's going to say, no, I want to work that extra day for free? Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would a four-day work week in the United States work? Is it something, and again, I, I don't want to ask the question, would you like that? Because I think almost everybody would say, well, of, of course, I, I, I'd like it to be, if you're going to pay me the same for working four days as opposed to five, what do I have, moron written on my forehead? Of course, I'm going to, you know, want to work four days. Would that be good for the country? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess my question is, if you're having trouble finding people to work now, what is that going to do to productivity? What is it going to do to jobs if now you're saying people only have to work four days a week instead of five? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would this work in the U.S.? We discuss in a moment. Now, let me be real clear here, because some people are saying, well, you mean it's still a 40-hour week. It's just it's four days, 10 hours a day. No, 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 no. 
That that's not what they're talking about in Japan and, and in Europe, um, and in Spain. They're talking about a a voluntary thirty two hour work week. So this isn't we we you work Monday through Thursday and it's ten hours a day instead of eight. No no no. This is you work four days eight hours a week. This is cutting down the work week from thirty two from forty to thirty two. Um, what do you think that's going to do to productivity? Jeff, a four-day work week would be great if it was 10 hours. I mean, I've worked long shifts all my life. Once I get used to 10-hour shifts, it's no big deal. It would give people an extra day off. No, no, that's not what this is. This is this is less time at work. That is what the intention is. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've told this story before. After I got out of college, before I went to law school for nine months, I mean, I, I worked in a big insurance company downtown, and they had summer hours for whatever reasons. And during the summer, you you started like 15 minutes early, and they cut 15 minutes out of the lunch hour, and you stayed an extra 15 minutes at the end of the day, or however they did it, but you, you got off at noon on Friday. Well, I love that. I mean, yeah, that that was great. If that had been year-round, I, I would have absolutely loved it because, you know, Friday afternoons in the summer, you could go out, you could play golf, you could do whatever you wanted to do. It was like you had like an extra, almost an extra day off, but you still had to put in the 40-hour week. No, no, that's not what they're looking at um that's not what they're looking at doing it. Uh, Jeff, does that mean we lose benefits because we're not working full-time at 32 hours a week? No, the idea would be the government would redefine a full-time job as, as 32 hours a week instead of 40. That's what they're talking about doing in Japan. My question is, you know, what, what, where, what, what is that going to do to productivity what is that going to do for businesses who already can't find people to work? Jeff, we're already heavily understaffed in all sectors of the workforce because people are not coming back to work. People are currently overworked now to try to get the demand of work accomplished in a week. What would happen if we go to a four-day work week? Will people be happy if their convenience stores aren't shell or stock, aren't stocked because semi-drivers are only working four days or construction workers or family workers are not working five-plus week work days? How about teachers? Our education is already lagging, but they only teach four days. It, it's a horrible idea. There's a story in the Journal Sentinel today about, and it, it, it talks about something I've been talking about for the last several months. Try buying furniture now. And, you know, it's just because what happened is during COVID, a, a lot of the furniture factories shut down. And so there, there's this huge supply backlog that's now. You know, we, we, I, I do ads for my friends at Billwright. You know, what you, one of their big problems is, is getting inventory. You go to the store, they've got a lot of stuff on the floor. But if you order furniture, be prepared for a wait. You know, there, there's no question about that. It's just the reality of what's going on. So let's say, okay, th- those factories that have now fallen behind over the last nine months, and instead of having the employees work five days a week, now we're going to have them work four days a week as the standard? Well, I mean, how, how much... How much longer is that going to go on? Jeff, I think it's the wave of the future, more work-life balance. Some old bosses of mine didn't believe working from home could be as efficient either. I've always been of the belief, put time in to get the work done. Lots of different jobs don't need 40 hours. Um, yes, Jeff, love the show. Thank you. When we get to fall and all the children are back in school, maybe a few people will get back to work. Maybe a slim chance. I hope so. Jeff, I work, um, I work four, 10 hours a day. It's great. So they wouldn't lose any productivity. And I have a three day weekend. It works. Right. Okay. That's, that's four 10 hour days. All right. That, that's a different discussion. We're talking about four eight hour 
days. Greg in Waukesha. Hi, Greg. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Um, so, first of all, um, coming at it from the perspective of a 30-hour week, I was at a um, company in 2000 uh, to 2004, and they already considered 30 hours a week um, pretty much full-time. So, and the other thing, the other argument I wanted to make is that um, I have several friends who um, work 40 hours right now. Granted, they're working from home because a lot of people are um, still. And they say that a lot of their hours that they work per week are just simply busy work. And so I think that less for young people now, I mean, we're even seeing it in a college setting that less, you know, do less with more, not necessarily less is more, but do less with, with, or, you know, do more with less, I should say. Well, what about, so what about more, the people that work retail? I mean, the, the store or, or restaurants, I mean, the stores have to be, if you, right now, that's one of the big problems that, for example, restaurants are having. They, they can't find people to, to do the various jobs. So if the standard is now 32 instead of 40, that, that's fewer, that's fewer people, you know, working behind the cash register. That, that's fewer people stocking shelves. Are we willing to put up with stores not being open as much or restaurants not being open as much? Well, and, and, um, that, that brings up other, other questions, right? Other issues, but um, I I think that um, it, it I mean it, it can be done. Your your average thirty two to forty hour a week uh, person though isn't working at a restaurant. You know, keep in mind these well, are jobs that are. Well, I don't know. I mean, thank, I don't I don't. But they're jobs. Things are. I mean, it's, it's jobs all across the all across the the board. I mean, okay, if, if if you can't get furniture now, can you imagine what it would be like if if the workers were only working thirty two hours a week? If your if your home improvement project, drive around the area and see all the different construction projects that are going on and stuff. If those construction workers are only working thirty two instead of forty, and of course, I mean, the other hook to this is the the idea is that you're going to be paid for a, that's going to be considered a full time job and you're not supposed to take a reduction in pay where, where i mean where is that dough going to come from here's a text jeff i'll run that idea past my dairy cows and see what they think yeah that's i, I mean i've said this before as well i i know a lot of people who are in the dairy farming industry and i got to tell you 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 want to you want to talk about a job that's hard work it, it's it is dairy farming it's the those <laughs> those cows they don't care if it's New Year's Eve. They don't care if it's the 4th of July. They don't care if it's Labor Day. They don't care if it's your birthday. They don't care if you don't feel good. All they know is they need to be milked two or three times a day. And, and they don't care if you want to go on vacation or any of that. Um, Jeff, maybe this brings more people back into the labor force. Well, um, it, I don't, Jeff, in manufacturing, they need to run 24-7. Typically during the, during, the, during my work career, I worked 68 hours a week, seven days a week with one Sunday and three off. Um, yeah, it was known as the third Sunday rule. Um, Jeff, a large percentage of the workforce in this country is factory and construction. These are good wage paying jobs. Have fun getting things done if all we're doing is working four days a week. Jeff, most retail stores are open seven days a week and have part-time employees already. Well, that's that's it. There, there is a There is an ongoing scramble 
I, I think, to you know, try to figure out how you're going to staff these jobs. If the standard now is 32 hours a week, yes, I mean, I get it. The good side is it gives you more time for family and stuff. Bad thing is, are, are you ready to understand that stores are going to be closed a lot? The shelves aren't going to get stocked. You're going to have larger waits for um, things that are being produced. Is it really a good thing for the economy overall? My answer would be no. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, Melissa, we have some breaking sports news and update to Greg's um, Greg's newscast. Uh, Trey Young, who is the all-world guard for the Atlanta Hawks, um, I think a lot of people saw yesterday he... He kind of rolled his ankle when he he stepped on the referee's foot, you know, and 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 he kind of went down and he was out. They they did an MRI and the MRI results are back and they say he has a bone bruise on his right foot, um, not a not a sprained ankle, which is a good which is good news. But now they say it's it's a bone bruise and he's listed as questionable for the game against Ooh, the Bucks. That sounds painful. Bone bruise. Those don't uh, recover overnight. I, I, well, no, you know it's. You know, we, we were talking off the air. I um, have you ever had one? Well, yeah. I mean, sort of. I, I guess it's. I had a sprained foot. I mean, what? What? This was. I, I worked from home for about like a week in, in February. I'm not sure anybody had ever known that, but I was. Mm. I, I'm coming down our our steps from my upstairs office, and actually, my wife was watching this and. I think it, my story is it's because the steps are carpeted except the last step that is not carpeted. My wife's story is it's because I was carrying this giant accordion folder full of work, some dirty clothes, and a cup of coffee in my right hand. <laughs> well, so, that, yeah. but w- regardless of what happened, my right foot hits that, that bottom step mm-hmm. and I, I, st- I slipped. I, and oh. so I'm going down and stuff is flying oh, all over. When that happened, and yeah. I, I kind of grabbed the banister to break my fall, but I twisted my foot pretty badly. Mm-hmm. And and I actually even came into work that day, and then the whole thing swole, swollen up. And I, I was afraid I'd broken my foot or broken my ankle. So I went into the you know urgent care the next day, and they took x-rays, and it wasn't broken. But it was sprained pretty badly. But it, I mean, I was on crutches for... I mean, I was on crutches for a few days, and I actually, I, I worked from home. I'm not sure people knew it, but just because th- that was, it was February and it was winter, and the idea of yeah. trying to negotiate some ice-covered parking lot, <laughs> it, it was not a good thing. But it was, it was incredibly painful, and it took me a few weeks to get back to where I could put weight on I the wonder, thing. I mean, I'm not obviously a medical doctor, but compare that to a bone bruise, if that's worse, and, better? Well, I think it, I think it's worse, but I think a bone, I think what I had was worse, but still, I'm not a, I'm not a professional basketball yeah, exactly. player where your, your game is built on being able to, to push off and mm-hmm. speed and things like that, and it's, it's got a, like I say, it's listed as questionable. My guess is, given where the Hawks are in the series, that they're going to try to play him, if at all possible, because... Well, you're your best players. Well, out right, there. and it's yeah. and it's as close to a must for the Atlanta Hawks. If they lose uh, tomorrow night, go down three to one to the Bucks. It's That's it's very like back. unlikely they're going to mm-hmm. come back and win three in a row. So, I mean, I think they'll be pushing to do it, but it's it. it I'm sure it's painful, and I'm sure it's limiting, even if he can end up playing. So, um, bone bruise, bone bruise is better than sprained ankle, but it it doesn't Still sound bad, good. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I, I go back to <clears throat> what I said all along, and I, I watched the game last night, and I certainly watched the game the other night where the Bucks, you know, were ahead by like thirty or forty points. I one of the the really interesting things to me about the NCAA tournament is it, it's it's one and done, and on any I've always believed that on, on any given night. 
you know, any team can beat any other team. You you can have the guy, the Jeff Wagner, coming off the bench, the third-string guy who suddenly has the game of his life and throws in all sorts of shots and scores all these points, and you've never done it before, and you're never going to do it again, and you have the upset. In in series, in particular like four-game series, I always believe the best team wins, and I think it's pretty clear that the Bucks are the better team, and I, I don't mean to take it to downplay Atlanta, and I, I understood Atlanta, and, and Trey Young you know, scores 48 points that first game and stuff, but I, I wasn't that worried, and I think I said that on the radio the other day, just because I, I think the Bucks are the better team, and I, I think they're starting to, to show that, which is to not to take anything away from Atlanta. It's just the better team wins. I think they're the better team. I think they're going to go on. The Bucks are going to go on to play Phoenix. Not sure which is the better team, but I mean, it's you, you got to love it. Get get on the horse, and this is not good news. Uh, a bone bruise on his right foot, and he's, I believe, right-handed. That's um, that that's not a it's not a good thing. He's always listed as questionable, so that's where we stand. Okay, at the start of the program, I said. I was confident. If you listen to the entire three hours, there there were going to be segments that that irritated pretty much everybody across the board. And I mean, I, I did I did the stuff on on Ron Johnson, who um, for some reason has just gone down this anti vaccine route that I just for the life of me I do not understand. It doesn't strike me as a, being a political winner. I if if he doesn't want to get vaccinated, I think that's fine. But to hold press conferences and news conferences implicitly encouraging other people not to. I just don't see what, what the point of that is. And I don't understand why Senator Johnson wants to, you know, be be on the tip of that particular spear as the leading figure trying to promote a, well, vaccines are dangerous sort of theory. I, I don't understand that. So predictably, I get the text saying, oh, go work for MSNBC. You're nothing but a hardcore liberal. And then, you know, we, we kind of tuned up Tony Evers for his head in the sand approach saying, I don't understand why $300 extra payments are stopping people from from working, and then we tuned up Joe Biden for his his bait and switch uh, approach on on infrastructure. You get all these Republicans who come together, and they they actually moderate Republicans who say, "Look, we're 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 in the spirit of bipartisanship, we're willing to cut a deal." And, and yeah, we'll 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 go along with you know six hundred billion or seven hundred billion dollars in in traditional infrastructure spending, you know, on roads and bridges and railways and broadband internet. And everybody has this big conference in the Rose Garden. We applaud this. And then Biden turns around and says, oh, um, by the way, you know, I'm not going to sign this unless I also get like three trillion dollars in my my liberal wish list stuff. And it's just, you know, I mean, what what could he have possibly been thinking? So we've been trying to um, arguably offer comments on both the right and left, which brings me again. Let's go back to the right. What is up with Donald Trump? For the love of God, where he just needs to stop. All right. Okay. Last weekend, Wisconsin Dells, Republican Party of Wisconsin holds its its statewide convention. All right. The day before the convention starts, um, well, Trump issues a statement. All right. Not thanking Wisconsin for, you know, voting for him in 2016, not offering to, you know, support efforts to unseat Tony Evers. What does Trump do? He lashes out at Robin Voss, Assembly Speaker, Senate Majority Leader Devin uh, LeMahieu, and the Senate President Chris Kapenga. Why? Why is he upset with these very conservative Republican leaders who have carried lots of weight, lots of water for Republicans over the year? He's upset because they didn't conduct a forensic audit 
into the November election. Give me strength. Trump said leaders are working hard to cover up election corruption in Wisconsin and are actively trying to prevent a forensic audit of election results. Don't fall for their lies. Okay, 3.3 million votes cast. Local election officials identified 27 cases of potential fraud. All right. Trump threatened that if Republicans don't do more, they'll be voted out of office. He particularly took issue with Milwaukee County, which he says is very, very corrupt. These Republican leaders need to step up and support the people who elected them by providing a full forensic investigation. In other words, let's throw good money after bad. If they don't, I have little doubt they will be primaried and quickly run out of office. I, I swear, I you you almost want to say what what planet are are you on now? And I understand this this oh how dare you say anything bad about Donald Trump? Well, okay, Trump cost himself a lot of capital by refusing to graciously acknowledge that that he lost the election and yes he lost the election and then by his churlish behavior um, when it came to all the stuff that happened on January sixth. I understand he is still a force in Republican Party politics and I understand there's still people that like a lot of what he did, but. You, you got to get off this. Going after Robin Voss and the, the Senate leaders accomplishes absolutely nothing. A forensic audit of the election accomplishes absolutely nothing. Trump got fewer votes. Now, if you want to focus on, again, election practices. That, that's a different story. I mean, I think you can have a good faith discussion about, you know, whether or not some of the things that were done, like the, the drop boxes and whether, demo, quote unquote, democracy in the park, where people were allowed to turn in their, their ballots, you know, weeks beforehand, you can make an argument about whether or not that stuff was in violation of state law and things like that. But, but this notion of, of fraud in that, you know, ballots were manufactured or things like that, it's just, it's it's one of these kind of weird conspiracy theories that, that detracts from the overall purpose. But bigger picture is, what, what do you gain by attacking, like I say, very conservative Republican leaders who have, I think, you know, like I say, carried a lot of water for Republican Party issues over the course of the last several months or in the last several years. And, it, and if Donald Trump really thinks that there's going to be somebody that's going to come up based on the failure to have a forensic audit, whatever the hell that means, that somebody's going to come up and is going to beat Robin Voss in a primary election. I mean, he, it, it's just kind of this delusional sort of thing. So, I mean, I, I was looking at all the different things that former President Trump could have said to be inspiring, and let's look forward to 2022, and let's look forward to 2024. But but he's, again, he, he's, he's focused on the rearview mirror, and it accomplishes absolutely nothing. He needs to get over it. Not hoping that happens, but he needs to get over it. So, again, for those of you who don't think President Trump can do anything wrong, that's that's my fodder for that, because I, I thought his comments on Friday were bizarre, bizarre in the extreme. All right, when we come back, well, lots of stuff on the program. Don't go anywhere. Well... Our long national nightmare is just about over. The world is now, I guess, a a better place because, I don't know, over the course of the next couple months, 
Aunt Jemima pancake mix and syrup is going to disappear from from the shelves. Now, this is I just you look at the world of, of political correctness, and and this is this is what we we do nowadays. You, you will recall that there was Quaker Oats um, has had Aunt Jemima pancake mix, Aunt Jemima syrup. Um, they've they've owned the brand since nineteen twenty five. And in 1989, they spent a whole bunch of money revamping the image. You know, um, originally the Aunt Jemima character, you know, certainly um, had had ties to arguably you know, racist stereotypes. It was revamped in 1989, and so you know that 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 was the, the case. But there's some people who've never been able to get over that. So there's been all this pressure brought on Quaker Oats, and so finally Quaker Oats said, "Okay, well we're we're going to." We're going to revamp this this whole thing, and so we're going to do away with, with the whole Aunt Jemima packaging. So we're going to bring this stuff back as pearl milling, which, of course, nobody is going to know about. According to pearl milling, the rebranded products will have the phrase, new name, same great taste as Aunt Jemima, on the new packaging to help consumers find the replacements. Okay, which, of course, raises the question of... If if the Aunt Jemima brand is so offensive that you have to pull the syrup and the pancake mix, you know what 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 do you really accomplish if you say, hey, this is Aunt Jemima stuff, but we're calling it pearl milling now? I mean, it, but but of course, Quaker Oats has to do that because otherwise, people aren't going to know what the heck pearl milling is. In any event, um, it, it's already starting to roll out. Story I'm looking at: um, Publix supermarket, and Publix is the big supermarket chain in Florida. Well, now, if you go into Publix in Florida, you're not going to be able to find Aunt Jemima. You're going to see it's going to be this pearl milling stuff. Um, they're also apparently rolling it out in, in some places in California. But what they're doing now is they still have the Aunt Jemima stuff on the shelf, so they're putting the pearl milling stuff which is presumably the same thing as the Aunt Jemima stuff. They're putting it next to the, the Aunt Jemima stuff. I, I just, you kind of wonder, um, you, you kind of wonder, at, at what point in time, what, what are we accomplishing when, when we do all this sort of stuff? Uh, and, you know, is the world a better place because now we've, we've forced the Aunt Jemima brand to disappear. We've, we've forced the Uncle Ben's rice. Uncle Ben's rice is now called Ben's original. We've got all these different rebranding things, which nobody's going to know what the stuff is. But with pearl milling, they're even putting on there, hey, this is Aunt Jemima, which, like I say, kind of defeats the purpose you would think of removing Aunt Jemima in the first place. But in any event, our, our long national nightmare is over because they have finally started the process of of taking Aunt Jemima out of these stores and everybody's life is presumably going to be better. Not sure I quite follow this. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. <clears throat> Story in the local newspaper, Brewer Stadium and Bucks Arena are now back to 100% capacity. One health expert says that could be a prescription for disaster. Oh, give me a break. I mean, look, here's the bottom line. I mean, I think I understand why we had all these different rules during the height of the pandemic. But now as the numbers drop dramatically, as the number of hospitalizations drop dramatically, as the availability of vaccinations increases, that this... 
okay, allowing allowing the people to come back at their choosing and sit at Mill at Miller Park at American Family Field or at Pfizer Forum or to participate in large outdoor gatherings like State Fair or Summerfest or you know various other festivals in the summer. To, to call it a prescription for disaster it is to me again it's some of these scare tactics that I, I think you know it. They need to be retired. And I understand people continue to need to, to be responsible. I think we encourage and need to encourage people to, again, be responsible when they're out in public. And I'm one of these folks who believes that, you know, getting vaccinated is the, the long-term way out of this pandemic. If you're not vaccinated, okay, that's your choice. You accept certain risks. But I, I don't think that it's a recipe for disaster to allow you to go to a ball game and sit next to other people, period. And I guess some of this hysterical stuff coming from the folks that, I guess, continue to think that we should be hunkering down in our basements, I don't think that's helpful, just like I don't think some of the irresponsible stuff coming from people who try to pretend that COVID wasn't a big deal. Just like I don't think that's responsible, period. Remember last last year, late last year, former Milwaukee County Executive Chris Abley was was carjacked, or at least an attempted carjacking, right by Shorewood High School, right actually right down the street from where I'm I'm sitting now. You had people that tried to like they like pulled him over and he stuck a gun in his face and got him out of the car and. The, the bad guys, somebody was in, I think, the, you know, there were two guys in a stolen car. They kind of forced him off the road, and one of the guys was going to drive the car. They got into it um, and did not know how to start his BMW. He had kind of a high-end car and one of these fancy BMWs, and whoever got in, the carjacker, couldn't figure out how to get the thing in gear or, or, or whatever because some of these, uh, especially the pricier foreign cars, you they have different ways that you start them. So anyhow, guy gets frustrated you know, because he can't figure out how to start the car to get it to move, so he pulls out a gun and shoots it a couple times and then jumps into the other car and they drive off. And to my knowledge, they've, they've never been caught, as, as most people aren't, unfortunately, when they do this sort of stuff. But but the reason the car wasn't stolen is because the idiot criminal carjacker didn't know how to drive the car. And, and that that's just, I mean, Chris Abley wasn't resisting. And I get it. Take the car. That, that's fine. But the guy didn't know how to drive the car. So I was thinking about this as we look at the number of cars that are stolen, still averaging about 25 a day on the mean streets of Milwaukee. And you've got the carjacking problems as well. And I was, I was trying to think, okay, what, what is, what is a way that you can reduce the number of stolen cars? And there was an interesting story, um, actually, that I stumbled across the other day. You know what a great, keeping in mind why they couldn't steal Abley's car, because the idiots didn't know how to drive it? All right, well, if more people bought manual transmission cars, there'd be a lot fewer cars that are stolen, because nobody knows how to drive a stick shift anymore. Now, here, here's the, the hardcore numbers of this. 19, back in, in 1980, Model year 1980, 35% of the automobiles that were manufactured for sale, so this is 1980 models, 80, um, 35% of the cars produced for sale in the U.S. had manual transmissions. That's back in 1980. 
All right, 40 years later, the number has dropped from 35%. If you were to look at a 2020 or 2021 car, if you wanted to guess the percentage of cars that are made with manual transmissions, it's not 35%. It's not 30%. It's not 20%. It's not 10%. It's 1%. It's 1%. And the vast majority, not all, but the vast majority of new cars that are made, you can't even get stick shift as an option. 1% of the cars are, are, are made with manual transmissions. And they estimate that only about 18% of American drivers can drive a, a stick shift. I mean, that's less than one out of five know how to drive a stick shift. So as a practical matter, you know, if just just the odds are, you know, if you don't want your car stolen, you know, you you just you'd buy yourself a stick shift because the bad guys going to get in there and they're not going to figure out what's this extra pedal here, what's this clutch thing? I don't understand this. The thing is stalled out. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm grinding the gears. I'm not going to be able to get away with it. So I'm I'm just telling you, and and I'm, I'm being a little bit. I'm not being funny about the car theft thing, but the, the irony, the idea that you know we, we've gone completely and totally away from manual transmission vehicles. Now I grew up learning how to drive on an automatic. But when I was in college, both my roommates had had stick shift cars. And so there were all sorts of times that if I wanted to use their cars, I, I had to drive stick. So I, I learned I learned how to do it. Now, in, in all honesty, I haven't done it in a long, long time. And just because of the convenience, I don't think that I'd, I'd buy, I'd ever buy a stick shift car myself. But the truth is, I, I do, I mean, I, I've learned how to drive it, and I think it's probably like, you know, riding a bicycle that with a little bit of practice, with 30 minutes of practice, I could get back and I could drive it. But the vast majority of people nowadays have no clue how to drive a manual transmission car. All right, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do you miss the fact that we, we no longer produce stick shift cars? Do you miss the fact that, you know, people, the vast majority of people at least, don't even know how to drive these vehicles. Do you miss it at all? Do you wish that there were more choices that were out there? Or is this one of these things where, hey, you know, this is this, this is 1950s. You know, Jeff, that the stick shift and stuff is 1950s. 855-616-1620. My guess is also there's a couple there's a couple hardcores out there, a couple of you who are old school who've been driving stick shifts, well, you know, since you learned how to drive and will continue to drive them as long as you have the option until the the day you expire from this mortal coil. 855-616-1620. All right, the stick shift is fading. All right, you're sorry to see it go. We discuss. Less than 18% of drivers in America today know how to drive stick shifts. In 1980, 35% of the automobiles produced for car for sale the new cars 35 percent had manual transmissions now it's less than one percent there are models you can get them on but you, you got to work to to find that jeff i have a honda civic five speed i took it to the emissions tests the young man there um that helped me he had to go get his supervisor to pull it into the bay i'm a 62 year old woman um katie in watertown hi katie hi i just pulled over in my six speed little chevy uh, manual transmission car, and 
the stories I can tell about people getting in to drive this and then they have to go, I don't know how to drive this. <laughs> both of my kids know how to drive it. They were taught on a manual. And when my daughter was about 18, she went to see her foreign exchange sister in France. She was the only one that could drive the car <laughs> because she was the only one that knew how. So right. it was... I just have lots of fond memories about driving a stick ship. Okay, well, why? Okay, what? Why are you still driving one? Why? Why are you driving it now? When they, again, you're 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 swimming upstream because most people don't. Um, I just enjoy driving a stick shift. Uh-huh. Um, uh, right. It does get a little bit better gas mileage, even sure. though I've been told and I've read that now it's pretty much evened out that you don't get better gas mileage. So right. I don't know. I just don't have. Um, yeah. So I have to drive, probably drive this car till it dies <laughs> because nobody will want to buy it because nobody can drive it. Well, right. You're, you're going to put the ad in for it and people are going to come up to see it and they're going to say, yeah, we, how, how, how does this work exactly? <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, thank, no, thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it was funny. I mean, I remember I learned how to drive a stick shift in college because like I say, I, I, uh, my parents didn't have stick shift cars. I never learned until go to college and you know, if I wanted to drive my roommate's cars, um, do you, you, you just, you just had to learn how to drive stick and it took me a little while to do it. And again, it's been years and years. I think I could do it again. It would just take me a little bit of practice, but not sure I'm going to. And candidly, you got to go out of your way to do it now. <laughs> Tracy in West Dallas. Hi, Tracy. You're on WTMJ. Hi there. Okay. Are you a stick shift driver? No, I am not. I tried to learn once when I was much, much younger, and I almost killed myself and the people around me. <laughs> so I'm sure it's um, the consensus that I should not drive stick shift. <laughs> I... But I do agree on one thing. It would it would cut down on a lot of car thefts oh. and uh, reckless driving if yeah. they had that. So oh, oh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. So, somebody sent me a text saying, are you saying that people can hotwire cars but can't drive stick shift? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I, apparently, you know how to drive, hotwire the cars, but they do not know. But, but you know, people don't know how to drive stick shift. So, yeah. No, thanks. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm being a little bit flip with this, but it, it's more like the how, how our, our culture has changed and evolved that, you know, there was a certain time where if you grew up of a certain age, you, you either learned to drive on stick shift cars or, or, or you were taught how to drive on stick shift cars because there were so many of them that were out there. Not anymore. Mike and DePere. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I am a stick shift driver. Okay. We've got uh, four cars in the household, and we've got one little sports sedan, and that has a six-speed in it. Uh, it's from the year 2000. That transmission probably adds 50% value to that car now, mm-hmm. to your point earlier, they've become so rare. Right. But as much as an uh, enthusiast I am, I told as I called in, I probably would be happy without it as well. Just because it's, it's, it's just a lot of work, you know, <laughs> for your daily drive? No, the uh, work is kind of fun. It, it certainly keeps you from doing other things and other distractions. You're not going to be but texting, right? I'm not going to be texting at all, but the technology has gotten so good with panel shifters and multiple-speed automatic transmissions, uh, it's really become archaic. 
Yeah. No, thank you. Well, it is, but it's still, I mean, there, there are enthusiasts that are out there. Jeff, I wish I could find a stick shift more accessible. I'm a mid-30s female. I love the control. Plus, it's so much better when towing and in freeway traffic and things of the like. Jeff, I love manual transmissions and miss them. Miss them. They are so much better than automatics um, here in the land of ice and snow. Jeff, I learned to drive a stick that had three on the tree. Let's see people do that nowadays. Yeah, if you... Um, Okay, I'm, I'm sure there's people don't even understand that three on a tree, ref, um, you know, reference. It's like the, the, the stick shift in some of these vehicles used to be on the steering column. So instead of like it, it being on the floor, there like four on the floor, it was on the steering column. Um, I, I've I've never driven a car that had the stick shift on on the steering column before, but um, I'm sure there there's a lot of people that did. Steve in Genesee, Steve, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Always good to t- chat with you. Thanks for calling. So I've got uh, I've got a 67 Mustang and a 68 Mustang that have V8s in them, and they're both uh, stick shifts. So the, those are my go-to cars and my daily drivers, uh, unless the weather's bad all summer. So, uh, right. you know, it doesn't, you know, you have the newer cars, uh, the Ford truck and a nice right. Subaru, but... Uh, but no, uh, to the memories are my grandpa had a gas station on Holton and Wright, and I grew up pumping gas and changing oil, and we had to learn how to drive sticks sure. back then. And and I always uh, and I'll always have a, a sticker, uh, one or two cars with sticks in my uh, in my garage. Well, you are you are Steve, you are old school. And there's no school like the old school. Jeff, my husband taught me to drive stick shift about 30 years ago, and I hated it. My 20-year-old son prefers to drive his 20, 2005 Audi stick shift rather than his 2014 fully loaded automatic. Um, Jeff, I learned how to drive stick shift when I was 16 for a job. At first, I hated it, but once I learned, I started liking it. I can still drive a stick shift. Um, Jeff, knowing how to drive a stick shift impresses the ladies. Well, okay, there, there you go. Um, Jeff, what sold me on the new Ford Bronco was the seven-speed manual feature that was offered. Yep, that's true. Um, that is true. That that's the, they got the Bronco that's out there. Um, Jeff, not that many years ago, we drove to Springfield, Missouri, to pick up a one-of-a-kind one-year-old BMW 530i that had a manual transmission. Jeff, my son just bought a Nissan Z stick shift from Japan. Uh, driver's wheel is on the right side, not the left side. He's so looking forward to delivery of that car to drive around town. Well, it, it's I, I'm I just I bring this up because. I, I was just thinking about that. As these disappear, again, I don't mean to be too flip about the car theft thing, but if if people don't know how to drive these things and you're looking for you know, a way to stop your car from being stolen, well, it's to go this route. Um, there's, Like I say, there's a lot of people that are still very old school about it. You can find these vehicles, but they are, are definitely a dying breed. One percent of the new cars being made have automatic trans have manual transmissions in them, and my guess is it's it's going to be fewer and fewer. So if you're one of those stick shift enthusiasts, you know keep your vehicle in good shape because they're going away. When we come back, well, they're not going away. We'll have the whole Wisconsin's afternoon news gang in find out what they've got on their minds.